Greetings in Jesus' name. This is Pastor Sean, and you're listening to The Intersection, not your normal fluffy Christian show. Uh, Remember that uh, we have elections coming up, um, I believe next Tuesday, and um, just wanted to say ran into a precious sister at the air show, was hanging out in the Kmart parking lot, checking out the airplanes, and uh Sister walked up and handed us a pamphlet, found out she's a good sister in the Lord, a Christian, and she's running for State Representative District 31. Name is Holly Vallade, and Holly, if I said your name wrong, I apologize, V-A-L-L-A-D-E, and uh, Holly is a believer in parental rights, protecting the unborn, health and freedom, fiscal responsibility. She's pro-Second Amendment and election integrity. So, if you're in District 31... After having a conversation with this dear sister, um, I believe she's the real deal. I believe she's 100% the real deal. And uh, she's a America First candidate, a real one. Um, and uh, go and vote for Holly. Go and pull that lever. We need as many, as many America First candidates as we can get. Um, so remember to vote, too. Remember to vote. Can't complain unless you vote. Anyhow, uh, we've been talking about a number of variety of things, and we've been talking about um, some of the social issues going on, and that just reminded me. Thank you, Holly, for being pro-life. Thank you for uh, protecting the unborn. Um, Thank you for supporting adoption and uh, all of the things that we believe in as Christians. Um, so found something very, very interesting. Most people don't know this, but you know how there's the doctors take what's called the Hippocratic Oath. You know, those, those laws they call HIPAA laws. Well, that's where this all came from is Hippocrates. Hippocrates, 400 BC, the famous Greek physician deemed the father of medicine. He's the one who came up with something called the Hippocratic Oath. And the Hippocratic Oath is something that doctors and nurses take. Um, when they become physicians, um, in which they swear, they swear by the virtues of this oath. Now, the oath has been, oh, at different times updated, I guess you would call it, uh, probably added it a little bit. But a lot of people don't realize, you know, in the original Hippocratic Oath, Hippocrates said this, I will not give a lethal drug to anyone if I am asked, nor will I advise such a plan. And similarly, I will not give a woman a pessary to cause an abortion. Oh, my goodness. Could you imagine if the the doctors had to take that Hippocratic Oath today? In other words, our uh, first Greek physician, Hippocrates, the father of medicine, was pro-life. He believed that it was immoral and wrong to give a woman, whether asked for or not, any kind of pessary or drug anything that would induce the termination of the child in her womb. Well, I wonder what they're doing at U of M Medical School. Wonder what they're, well, I can guarantee you that's not in the revised modern Hippocratic Oath. I can guarantee it. I thought it was also interesting, too, that Hippocrates said he would not give a lethal drug to anyone. In other words, he would not allow assisted suicide. He would not participate in somebody's demise, whether it was over health reasons, 
whether it was over emotional or uh, psychological reasons, he would not assist someone with their own demise. And that's another thing we see raising its ugly head in the world, and that is euthanasia. Uh, And it's becoming more and more popular and more and more countries, especially in the European nations, are embracing. uh, You remember how Jeffrey Figer got famous, right? He was supporting Dr. Jack Kevorkian and people's right to die. Well, um, Hippocrates says that that is immoral for a doctor to participate in. Isn't that interesting? In another place in this thing, he said he would not play God. How many physicians now don't even believe in God? They have no spiritual conviction whatsoever. Well, we can also see that physicians can be easily duped because during COVID, oh, a good large portion of them bought onto things that were unscientific, uh, unhealthy, and violated the Hippocratic Oath, especially when it came to things like lockdowns, masking, and forced vaccinations. But um, I would have to say like many um, many attributes of honor in our society, like the Hippocratic Oath, like other other means of uh, morality, they've gone down the tubes. They have gone down the tubes. So we've been talking about abortion. You know, I've been seeing the woke fake Christians. Yep, I'm calling you a fake Christian. I've been seeing the wokey chokies. You know, they've been especially going after a a man of God who wrote a book called Abort Abortion by the name of Mark Driscoll, whom I appreciate dearly. Um, but they, they, the, the woke wokeies like to come out and they like to say things like, the Bible doesn't specifically talk about abortion. Really? Well, the Bible talks about life. It talks about when life begins. It talks about protecting life. And if that doesn't speak to abortion, it's kind of like, The scripture never talks about marriage being between a man and a woman, and that's absolutely 100% not true. Not only was it between a man and the woman in the beginning, uh, but Jesus defined marriage when he talked about marriage, and he said in the beginning, a man would leave his father and mother and cleave into his wife. Um, So the Bible doesn't, doesn't define gender, but it does. It says in the beginning, he made them male and female. So does the Bible teach about abortion? Absolutely. It doesn't have to implicitly use the word abortion to not teach about when life begins. The Bible also doesn't say anything about nuclear weapons, but we can assume that God would frown upon their use. Um, so it says in the Old Testament, the Bible uses the same Hebrew word to describe the preborn child, infants, and children. In other words, the child in the womb, the same Hebrew word was used to describe the child in the womb. Not a lesser, not a lesser pronoun, not a lesser description, but the same Greek word in the New Testament, the same Greek words also describe the preborn child, infants and children, which indicates a continuity from conception to childhood all the way into adulthood. In other words, there isn't any word like we have fetus. They didn't have another word for a preborn child. They considered the child in the womb to be on par and equal with the child that's born, you know, we're in a real slippery slope. You know, you know what's funny? These people, uh, these same Wokies who who try to, who, who try to supposedly um, stand against racism, don't realize that the the very, the very uh, foundation of slavery was that the government decided that black people, that 
black Americans were lesser than a complete person. They were either three-fifths of a person or not a person or not a person at all. They were property. And in doing so, they could dehumanize people and make them slaves and not feel guilty about it. Well, this is the same thing that's happening with the preborn baby. The Greek word brephos is often used of the newly born infants and older children. For example, Acts 7.19's brephos refers to children killed at Pharaoh's command. But Luke one forty one, the same word is used of John the Baptist while he was yet in the womb, a preborn infant. By the way, the first the first person to rejoice to rejoice at the announcement of Mary's pregnancy of Jesus was an infant named John the Baptist who leapt for joy in his mother's womb. Even the preborn baby could recognize that Mary's preborn baby was the Son of God, and he leapt. Now, if that's not a case for life, I don't know what is. It didn't say the unborn pre-person fetus leapt for joy. It said her unborn child, preborn infant, leapt in her womb for joy. In God's eyes, he is indistinguishable from a child. The Bible reader also informs us that John was filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb, indicating personhood. I don't think the Holy Spirit is was filling people that were not fully human. You don't hear about dogs or monkeys or birds or any other species being filled with the Holy Spirit. I guess a donkey talked one time. That was pretty cool. But being filled with the Holy Spirit indicates his personhood. Even three months before birth, John could miraculously recognize Jesus in Mary's womb. In Exodus 21, 22, it's used of a child in the womb. In Genesis 25, 22, the word Yeladin, that's the Hebrew word children, is used of Rebekah's children struggling while in her womb. In Job 3, 3, Job uses the word Geber to describe his conception. A man-child is conceived. But Geber is a Hebrew noun that usually translated as man, male, or husband. In other words, it's equating the preborn child as the same as a king, counselor, congressman, senator, or even president. That that preborn child, the same Hebrew word is used to describe as a fully grown adult, even a king, counselor, or prince. You ever notice all the people that are pro-choice have been born? All these fancy schmancy politicians who want to talk about choice. Let me tell you something. Choice is very important. Free will is very important. I'm a libertarian in many, many degrees in my life. But the problem when it comes to choice, when it comes to abortion, is that it's not just a choice over your own body. It's a choice over the baby's body. And that baby, as far as I'm concerned, should also have constitutional protections. Constitu- should also have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, you can't have liberty or the pursuit of happiness if you're not born, if you can't be born. All these scriptures and many others indicate that God does not make a distinction between potential life and real life or in delineating stages of personhood, namely between preborn infant in the womb and any stage of a born infant of child all the way up until a grown man and elder to the grave. 
Scripture repeatedly assumes that the continuity of a person from conception of it to adulthood. In fact, no separate word is used exclusively of the preborn that will permit it to be distinguished from an infant as far as its personhood and value are concerned. There's not a separate word. Like we like to say fetus, there is no separate word in the Bible for a preborn child. Further, God himself relates to the unborn as persons. In Psalm 139, 16, the psalmist says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. So the writer of the Psalms, probably David here, says that God's eyes saw his body even when it was yet unformed. God is looking at him as a person. The writer used the word golem, translated as body or substance, to describe himself while he was in the womb. He uses this term to refer to God's personal care for him even during the first part of the embryonic state. This is why we believe 100% that life begins at conception, because in Psalm 139, he's saying that even before his body was formed, God's eyes were upon him. The state before the fetus is physically formed into a miniature human being, God is already relating to him as a person. We know that the embryo is unformed for only four or five weeks. In other words, that unformed body stage of gestation, God considers them to be a person. Job 31.15 says, Did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one form us both within our mothers? Well, he's just talking about Job and Isaiah. So he he only formed two people, man, Adam. He only formed two people, three people. The rest of us he didn't form. Did not the same one form us both within our mothers? In Job 10, 8, and 12, we read, Your hands shaped me and made me. It's almost as though God is taking clay in the mother's womb. You know, I want to believe, you know, know, people, yes, the womb is part of the mother, and yes, the womb is within her body, and yes, she has choice over her body, but the womb is also God's. It is also God's place in which he miraculously forms, shapes, and identifies us. The womb is like a holy altar. It's like a holy place which God does his handiwork. And what an awesome privilege, ladies. What an awesome privilege for you to be able to carry a child within your womb, knowing that God is at work in your very womb, forming that child. Your hand shaped me and made me. You clothed me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. Psalm 78, 5 and 6 reveals God's concern for children yet to be born. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. In other words, God recognized them before there were arms and legs and eyes and heartbeat. I go further. A lot of people think this is rather insane. But I go further to say that I existed when God predestined me. Well, what about babies who don't make it? Well, it doesn't mean that God didn't intend for them. Before the foundation of the world, we were predestined, predestined in Christ before the foundation of the world. I believe that that we were we were something of substance and value when God intended us. 
These scriptures reveal that personal pronouns are used to describe the relationship between God and those in the womb. We hear a lot about pronouns now. They, them, he, him, Ford, Chevy, whatever you want to identify your pronoun as. We hear a lot about pronouns, and yet we see God using personal pronouns to describe the preborn baby. These verses and others, Jeremiah 1.5, Galatians 1.15, Isaiah 49, 1 and 5, show that God views the preborn children in the womb as persons. With no other conclusion possible, and we must agree with theologian John Frame, there is nothing in Scripture that even remotely suggests that the unborn child is anything less than a human person from the moment of conception. Now, if a choice, if a woman's choice can override the the baby being considered an equal person with the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, then we have a slippery slope that what about after the baby's born? Because the baby's dependent, the baby's weak, the baby is uh, its not autonomous to itself, that it's somehow lesser of a human. And when we start getting to that, that place where we start defining humans, based upon our own understanding or based upon their viability or based upon what we think their value is, that's when we wind up with all kinds of crazy things, like Holocaust, like euthanasia, like experimentation, oh, like organ harvesting. All of those things come from the idea, slavery, oh, this is right out of the, you know, all these people, all these woke people pretending that they're for civil rights, pretending they hate they hate the slavery of the past. Well, you're using the same argument of, of reducing personage, uh, defining personage based upon what you consider valuable. And in this case, we say that the, the mother's personage is more valuable than the baby's personage. And that's where we get this idea of choice. The mama's life, her liberty and her happiness is to be uninterrupted by some embryo or fetus growing inside of her and um, some people believe all the way up to viability in nine months but there's nothing in the scripture that remotely suggests that the god sees the unborn child as anything less than a full person in light of this we must concede that those scriptures which indicate human life belongs to god not to us prohibit abortion the Bible teaches that people ultimately belong to God because all men are created by him. It's not my body, my choice. It's my body, God's choice. Well, what if it happened in a way that God wasn't involved in? Well, the fact is, is that all life, all human life, all children are a blessing from the Lord. None of them are a curse. None of them are a a, a problem. None of them are a drag or a... A, uh, a drain. All children are from God. The scriptures teach that God himself gives to all life and breath and all things because he made the world and all things in it. Understanding this, Isaiah could say, O Lord, thou art our father, we are the clay, thou art the potter, and all of us are the work of thy hand. The psalmist could say, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Further, the scriptures teach, your hands made me and formed me and the Lord forms the spirit of man within him, Zechariah chapter 12, verse 1. God himself makes this statement, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. 
Since all life was created by God and belongs to him, no one has the right to kill something God has created. Scriptures also teach we must defend and protect the weak, the defenseless, the innocent, the needy. This surely includes unborn children. Talk about needy and weak. Consider the following scriptures, which indicates God's concern for those who cannot speak in their own behalf. Psalms, Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and the unjust and show partiality to the wicked. Defend the cause of the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and oppressed. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Boy, if that isn't talking about the pro-life movement, trying to deliver, trying to deliver the most vulnerable unborn children from the hands of the wicked that would destroy them. The Bible has many scriptures like this. There can no doubt that the they also apply to the innocent unborn who are most defenseless, innocent, and needy. Indeed, God will hold us accountable for their welfare. God will hold us accountable for their welfare. Proverbs 24, 11, and 12. Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weigh the hearts perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay each person according to what he has done? Wow. That is amazing. And if that is not an apology for life, if that is not a, a, uh, a doctrinal statement for life, I don't know what is. So I think we can, can conclude biblically that God declares the unborn child, even the unformed one, the one that is unformed in the womb, the one that is being formed, to be a complete person that belongs to him, which he loves, which he has plans for and life's for. And who is man? Who are we to cut that off, to cut that short? Won't we be held accountable? Won't we be held accountable? You know, in this modern day when Roe versus Wade was overturned, and we hear all the arguments. And, and like I said, this is for you, you Christians who say you shouldn't judge, or the Bible doesn't explicitly talk about abortion. No, but it talks about life. It talks about life. Probably didn't feel the need to address abortion because it assumed, it assumes that the readers understand God's take on life. That from before the foundation of the world, when we are predestined to conception, all the way through that time when we are knit together in our mother's womb, all the way through our lives, God considers the unborn child to be equal and a blessing. Scripture says that children are a blessing from the Lord. Is it no wonder why the devil hates them? Is it no wonder why Satan wants to destroy millions of babies before they even come out of the womb because they're made in the image of God because they're a blessing because they're a continuation of hope and life and the future that my friends brothers and sisters is why the Bible is clearly 100% pro-life and we can take from that that it's also 100% against abortion until next time this is the Pastor Sean may God richly bless you We're the bad
noose with the young guns, with the ones that they told you to run from. Yeah, the player's gonna play and the hater's gonna hate.